Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Who we just finished the pod. It was different today. Tons of great info. Stories. I told a few. And Fez, he got crushed. I mean, it was like Spinks versus Tyson in one case. But on the other hand, Fez got the only in dreams single drop because it was just such a great point he made. Just like Fez, sometimes not great, and other times no one can match him. And if you follow him, you win money. Well, if you're going to bet, though, you need a bookmaker. Bet DSI, big sponsor, Podcast One. They spent a ton of money. That means they probably plan on being around for a while. They've been around for 20 years. They have a user-friendly interface, a mobile site. We all know we're betting on the go, fast payouts. And now, beyond supporting the pod, you get a special promo code, BELL101, B-E-L-L-101, and you get a 100% bonus match. Put in 100, get 100 extra. Put in 200, you got 200 more. That's 400. Simple math. Some would need an adding machine. I just boom right in my head. Let me think. 500,000. See? Couldn't necessarily do Jeopardy like that dude, but pretty good. <laughs> wink, wink. If you bet baseball every day, obviously the NBA playoffs heating up, many opportunities there. And remember, we don't know how long that bonus lasts, that special doubling, and that money, that bonus is sitting there for you come football season, which shockingly ain't that far away. Go to BetDSI.com, use the promo code BELL101, B-E-L-L-101, Get another out, improve your chance to win, get your double bonus. On to the show. Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is RJ Bell. That's right, and this is the NFL Draft, but it's happening on Thursday, so you better listen early. If not, there's a great amount of NBA information edition with the Wise Guy Roundtable, the foundational guys, Brad Power, Steve Fezzik, back from his first vacation. He'll fight. What what was what was the over under for vacations in a year, Brad? For him, five and a half. Five and a half. It, it's good to be Fez. Let, you know, I mean, there's some things in life that I'm not sure if the objective an- answer is obvious, but I am Elma J. Foot, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. It's good to be Fez, guys. We're gonna get to the NFL draft, and if you listen closely to the little intro I do for this edition, I tell you about the minute mark generally to jump to, to skip the draft if you're listening after Thursday, but it reinforces, listen, the day will release, subscribe, because sometimes you're going to be missing some of the information. Showtime! 
Woo! You know, it's to our benefit when there's a lot of action. You know, Fez is famous that he'll do whatever it takes to generate action. Wore the cowboy boots, cowboy hat, walked around. A lot of action that week. A lot of action. Famous Fez. Absolutely. And I do other things to get down extra, RJ. (laughs) That sounds like a whole pod in itself. (laughs) Now, I still, though, to me, my North Star is the truth. Because if you're not telling the truth, one, with the scrutiny that anyone in our position is under, you're going to get in trouble. Two, and this is things I told, you know, former guys I used to work with that, you know, we just didn't see things eye to eye. If you're doing something that feels deceptive, even if you think it's kind of harmless or whatever, you know you're being dishonest and it takes the joy out of it. To me, if you're smart, like, listen, if you got no other choice, if it's, it's starve or be deceptive, I would get why, you know, I'm not judging they should or shouldn't, but you kind of would get starve or usually the, or is better. But if you're talent, if you're so untalented that you've got to lie to make, like, at least if you're lying, be, be flying in your private jet, you know, make the lie worth it. So this doesn't really generate excitement. To be honest, the amount of action that's viable in this draft is down significantly from last year. And my take is that it's fear of the bookies. Brad, you've been on top of this. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And and when it comes to the NFL draft, it's a relatively new thing here in the state of Nevada. This is only the third year that you've been able to bet on the NFL draft in this state. First year. They experiment five, six, maybe a half dozen or whatever props available. That's fine. That's at least a a first step. Last year, they took major steps forward. The books were super aggressive. Lots of player matchup props. I would say nearly 50 different props you can bet on in this town in Vegas. And what happened from at least most uh, reports is the books got hit pretty good, meaning that they suffered a loss when it came to it. The Sharps really hit them hard this year. First off, we don't get hardly any draft props available for weeks. Not until really this week, early in the week, Monday, the, the, the week of the draft. Monday and Tuesday did a lot of these books start releasing stuff. And it's not 25 or 30 different props. It's like five or six. So, yes, I think the books are scared. Yeah, and you look at the handle. Handles down less than what was expected last year. So the books are like, all right, so we're not going to make as much money as we thought we would. That's fine. But what's this? Our hold is way down as well, even negative, because the only people betting these things are the guys that know more than the odds makers when they're putting these lines up for the most part. And that's interesting. So you're saying it's not just some people are winning against the or won last year against the books in the draft props, but people are winning and there's not enough people losing. Yeah, and that's what I've heard. I've heard on at least some of the local spots here, the bookies whining and crying on the air saying, hey, 
the only people that are betting the, this NFL draft are sharp people. The public, it just isn't interesting that much, which is kind of surprising because the draft is so popular. You look at a guy like Dwayne Haskins, right? Should be a super popular guy. You think the public would bet on him to do well, and yet all the money is against him, right? That he's going to go over under, I think he started six and a half, that he's going to be under six and a half in the draft, and there's no money coming back, public money in the other direction. Cockroaches. Cockroaches, yeah. See, guys, the longer you listen, the more you learn, the more you're going to say, RJ was right. RJ was right. That's been your experience, Faz, right? When you disagree with me, as time passes. I think on Arbor Day, you got one wrong. No, no, no. I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> I'm wrong a lot. But I think it's fair to say in our, our business dealings that as time passed and there were things you were skeptical about, you came around. Yes. And you made it clear, like some of the things that I, in my past, maybe that I spoke about them, I might, might want to minimize. No, correction, just not talk about anymore. Well, now you got to talk about them. Like, what kind of stuff are you talking about? Non sports related, non sports oh. betting related activities. <laughs> Let's keep it to the niche that you're best with, Steve. Well, until the drunks show. And then you, <laughs> then, then when you have, <laughs> just have the Uber driver ready. Oh, no. Brad, I'm just going to crash with you that night because I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> no don't know. I don't know. I don't know on that one. That, uh, I don't know if that's an oh no or an oh yeah type of podcast. I can't wait for it, but man, that could get, that could get really bad. I'm going to walk in. It's going to be like a big, like coffee can of hundreds. It's like Fez's money that I took from him. <laughs> well, listen, when I saw Fez on two white wines, what he said that night, scary, scary. <laughs> All right. So is this the case offshore? I mean, Vegas is, ve I, I mean, again, I got a lot of friends on the sportsbook side. And I tell them, I just got to tell the truth, but Vegas has been particularly conservative. You know, they've had a monopoly here. And when you got a bunch of 60 year old fat guys with the big bellies making 400 K a year, there's no real ambition online. There's some real ambition. Fez, what do you think? How's the markets look online? Yeah. Online. It's disappointing. It's still very limited, but I got to be honest here. Compared to last year. Compared to last year, it's not as good as it was last year online. But I got to tell you, last year was the rare case where Vegas offered a whole lot more than the offshore books did. Vegas, almost it was a point of emphasis. It's like all the different nat dastardly bookies, you know, were smoking their cigars, calling each other and say, hey, you know, we can all make a whole lot of money. And that they just went hog wild for one year last year, much more so than the offshore world. You know, there's another example where Fez came around. Peace and love. Peace and love. For a long time, you were you never wanted to say a bad word about your, oh, screw your, fr that. your friends, the bookies. Yeah, it's like it's almost like I gotta apologize just to get down at some places. It's it's gotten harder and harder and harder. And some of these app limits, you're betting on the app and like literally you got a hundred dollar limit to if you want to make a bet. So I guess the question is. Is there a way to spend time with this, given the current market circumstances, and make it worth the time? Now, if someone, one of our listeners just loves to draft, and they're going to do the work anyway, yeah, throw some, you know, if they throw a couple hundred bucks down, it's, you know, it's a free roll in a way, in that they're doing the work, at least the effort to make the bet, not the bet itself. 
But as a batter, Faz, not only, as you said, and as Brad has said a bunch, the markets aren't liquid, that you know, they're not robust, you know, just fancy words, I guess, for saying you can't get much down. But even when you find a good bet, the sharps are gobbling up the value pretty quick. So, I mean, literally this morning, and we're taping on Wednesday at the pregame.com offices, literally this morning, you love to bet, and it's moved so much in the 12 hours, it's a lean now. Yeah, so did my work on the Big Ten, number of players to get drafted in the first round. What's this? This looks real solid, under seven and a half players in the first round. Turns out almost all the mock drafts out there have six players from the Big Ten being taken in that first round. So it doesn't sound like a lot. Get under seven and a half versus under six. But this isn't like a number of points that a player is going to score. There is a really, really good chance there's going to be exactly six, maybe seven players taken from the Big Ten. So I go out like ready to go and go ahead and make some big bets under seven and a half and all the seven. Well, and first, gone. you weren't going to be making make big bets. bets. Limit bets. Limit bets. Many bets under seven. Can't find a seven and a half anymore. Now, the best I can do is under six and a half. Obviously, not nearly as good. All right. So, in a way, it's fun. But, boy, it seems like the trend line with the draft, because I felt momentum building. I did last year. <clears throat> I was excited. Now, new guy. He's a form, great form contributor. I call him the hint man. What's his real form name? T-H, the man. T-H-T-H-A-M-A-N. Now there's a marketing genius. <laughs> now, so T-H, the man, AKA the hit man. He did like a six page analysis on the draft. We have Fez distilling it down to a handful of key points. By the way, you want to read the whole six pages, pregame.com, go in the forums. This is a great chance, guys. If you if you haven't done it, it's a community. It's a lot of people trying to help each other. Sleepy came from the forums. I mean, sleep, jump on mic there. I mean, you were you were in the heroin uh oxycotton center of the world, right? <laughs> oh yeah. What what's that town you're from? Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. What percentage of the, if, if you just randomly were driving down the street and there's 10 people on the street, what percentage were hooked on smack horse? 30%. But one in three. Yeah. But you avoided that. Yeah. They didn't say, Hey kid, first one's free. No, I'd have shot him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you started posting in the forms and now. You're in the, you live in Las Vegas. I love it. You're the, you are the dream. I'm the dream come true. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love sleep. It's true though. (laughs) Every word we just said is true. So I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, but that's the kind of passion people are posting with great info in the forums. All right, Fez, the hit man. I know usually you don't like to attribute. This would just be fast saying, I've done some work in the draft. <laughs> let me get my notes. <laughs> so let me distill yeah. the hitman's yeah. notes down to a few teams here. Start with the Raiders. I love this concept. The Raiders, of course, they let Mac go. And the Raiders last year had 13 sacks last in the NFL. And this is an almost unbelievable stat. 
The second worst team in the NFL was the Giants. They got 30 sacks. So the Raiders were like worse than double as bad as the second worst team in sacks in the NFL. They have a real need to get a pass rusher. You know, it's very impressive. You came up with, where did you get that? This is in the just hitman.com. <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to get annex that, I guess. Right. What's he saying? I don't know. He just made up that there's a hitman.com. There's there not. isn't. There isn't. It's no. it's th they men on pregame.com. But there's no dot com. No dot com. So really, you're just wrong in like every direction. Just void that out from go. Your go back to reading what the hitman said. So the hitman <laughs> Raiders can't sack the quarterback. They got a need. Let's talk about the Bucks. The Bucks. So so the theory is on the draft uh, batting. If there's a bat. I guess, how would you get to that? Maybe not bet that they're going to draft a quarterback because there's a lot of speculation they want to trade up, right, for a quarterback. Yeah, and I just can't see it as bad as that they're, you know, that their defensive rush was. That has to be the need that they absolutely have to address. But there's a lot of talk that you can never be sure when it comes to the Raiders in terms of what they may do. Next. Next, let's talk about the Tampa Bay Bucks, 2018. The Hitman documents the Bucks permitted an NFC high 8.2 yards per pass attempt. I love this. When he talks about his final verdict, the Bucks are transitioning to a new 3-4 defense, and they have need, needs at virtually every level of the defense. Look for a Bucks squad to draft a whole bunch of defensive players. Is he getting a lisp? No, but I I heard it. And I mean, it's like you're going, there's a need defensive players. I mean, do you have dentures? No. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny? <laughs> I would have had him last week if that was the case, RJ. I, but maybe that's why you were you were on vacation on. for four days. Maybe it was like some kind of really invasive dental procedure. Never can tell. Well, I can tell because you, you're talking like this. Certainly didn't go well. I mean, does it, it sound does it sound does it sound weird to you guys in the control room? I didn't notice it. All right, let's listen close now. Go hash sleeve. Let's talk. Last team we're going to talk about the New York Giants, and they're intriguing. So they got the sixth pick. That sounds better. And the Keep 17th like pick in the draft. So we all know that the Giants desperately need a quarterback because Eli Manning is a bottom three quarterback in the NFL right now. So are they going to take a quarterback? Hold on a second. Somehow he can take even the Hitman stuff and add crap. Show me. I want you to read me where he said, where they say, that, hold on. I want to see in that document. Where it says because of the Giants' assessment of how bad Eli is, here's my conclusion. Um, Read it verbatim. Final verdict: Dave Gettleman has been adamant that Eli still has gas left in the tank, and nobody has an idea if he's seems like the opposite. If now. he is actually that delusional, so exactly. the hitman is so, causing. So you're making stuff up, or if it's a smokescreen. I'll read, it. I'll read the hitman here. The Giants will likely take a quarterback in the first round, but will it be the sixth? Or the seventeenth pick. Okay, so literally, I'm not talking about that. The hitman thinks the Giants are taking a quarterback. I'm saying the rationale to that was how bad Eli was. Was your rationale had nothing to do with it? That is correct. It is Fezzik's opinion that Eli is a bottom three quarterback. All of the rest is the hitman. So you, no, you were saying that is part of the hitman's analysis, and that is not part of the hitman. Why analysis. did you do it? I was adding my own comments without disclosing us. <laughs> Why? How did I know it wasn't in there? 
I should I have. Can, yeah, yeah I mean, you did. You jumped. Right I mean, it's it. like you make. You can hear Fezzik's voice go up a half an octave when he starts making crap up. That's not crap. That's it's crap because whatever you think of Eli, it doesn't matter. It's with the, the hitman. Yes. No, it's not even with the, the, hit, the hitman. It's Eli, it's the freaking GM of the Giants is what matters. It, and the hitman feels that the Giants GM is delusional when he thinks that Eli has a lot of gas left. But somehow time. your thought was let's let's. Let's um, lean on the inevitable reasoning power of the Giants GM. So if anything, what you're saying is opposite of the hitman. He's saying the Giants GM may be delusional. You're saying let's trust the Giants GM to know how bad Eli is. That actually seems diametrically opposed. The Giants GM thinks Eli has gas left in his tank. Exactly. But you were telling us because Eli's the bottom three quarterback, the Giants need to take a quarterback. That would be my personal belief. Yes. Which is irrelevant. Yes. But you shared it with the world. Yes. Without telling us whose opinion even was. What do you think of this, Brad? <laughs> Glad to have you back, Fez, from that vacation. Glad you're rested up. Uh, it's really a welcome to have you back. Just to summarize what the hitman thinks, he thinks that the Giants will, will likely take a quarterback in either the 6th or 17th selection. Because my question is, the Giants could have taken... Any but one, what was it? They had the second pick, right? Am I remember. I think right? the third. The third. Yeah. But but there was only, so who the, had. The only guy gone was Baker Mayfield. So they okay. could have gotten Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, any of those guys. Exactly. And Darnold would have been the likely yeah, one. Yeah, right. If, if at the time the GM says, well, we got Manning, we don't need a quarterback. I'd make the case the way Manning played last year was at least as good as the year before. Meaning the comparable. Two, yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's just get out the QBR, you know, Brad, we'll look that up as we're chatting. Thanks, Brad. So I get it. There's eventually going to be a wall that you hit with age, but I don't see any reason the giants are more anxious to get a quarterback this year than they were last year. Well, I think the fact that his brother just fell off the cliff and admittedly the older we're man saying is, that there's some kind of, there's some genetic kind of genetic disposition, disposition to, 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 to drop off the cliff? Did Archie Manning drop off the cliff? I would have to go back and look. I mean, it might be because Peyton had like six neck fusions or whatever. Sure. His QBR was his best in the last three years. So if you look wow. at- Wow. Yeah, you look at the last three years, 46, 47, 52 last year. Huh. So what you said is actually illogical, Fez. That's QBR, Brett? It, that's QBR. So his yeah. rating was the best too. Okay. Well, the Q, well the QBR. Remember, the QBR has gone up throughout the NFL, so that the average QBR has risen between last year and this year. Yes. Okay. Yeah, significantly. Actually. <clears throat> How much? It's like ten. It was a. Huge I mean, you're difference. making you're making stuff. No, up again. I'm not making. Well, just a, look it up, uh, Mac, Mac. Look it up. Average QBR in 2018. Average QBR in 2017. You said ten points. I'm going to go eight and a half. I'm going to let you go over under eight and a half. You want to bet? I think it was about eight and a half. Well, you just said 10. I rounded it to 10. So I'll go over eight and a half. Rounded it? I'll go over eight and a half. Because we always talk about how we round up when you're paying me money. (laughs) I wish you would. We always said how the average was about 50, and I thought it had gone to 60. But not just since last year. The QBR has been around since 2008. I I know. 2017, we're at about 56. Last year, about 61. Hmm. Five. 
There you go. We'll move on. No bet. I'm starting to feel sorry. All right. So, Giants quarterback. So, the the Hitman's conclusion is they're taking a quarterback. So, how do you get at that bet? Well, Dwayne Haskins over under in many places at six and a half. So, that's the key. Do we think the Giants are going to take Haskins? And if we don't think they're going to take Haskins, then obviously under six and a half is a really good bet for Haskins. I've actually seen the bets out there where you can pick where Haskins ends up. And um, now that I think about it, the hitman sent me an email follow-up that was saying he likes that bet for Washington because they were the second favorite. For Where's Washington picking? 15. Okay, that's interesting. You might have to trade up for that. All right, next one. Those were the top three that I had. That was the big takeaway. Yes. All right. So he's one of a kind though. Yeah. You got to give him credit. I mean, like you couldn't make up a character like this. No, you couldn't. There we go. Bananas. All right. Let's talk about number one. Cause I love that Vegas quantifies this stuff. You hear Mel Kuyper saying 99% Kyler Murray's going number one. Then you hear some guy from CBS. I, I know he's got a name. Pete Prisco. And uh, it's not happening. Now, Colin said something on Wednesday show I thought was really smart. Why would the Cardinals spread disinformation? Because if you're trying to trade Josh Rosen, Think of two scenarios. You're trying to trade Josh Rosen in scenario A, the league knows you're picking Kyler Murray and they know Josh Rosen is expendable. In scenario B, they're not sure who you're picking. Maybe a quarterback, it may not be. It seems like B, Arizona has more leverage in the trade negotiations. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yep. So the idea of planting this story. Smokescreen. Yeah. Maybe. And the CBS dude, I mean, if a journalist thinks someone's lying for some purpose, they got to consider that. But how would you know if you've got a contact in Arizona, you know, around the team and they call you and say, hey, can't tell you where this is coming from, but I, I don't think we're taking them. You're going to go, you're going to run with it. You've got your source. So in a way you can't blame the journalist in that hypothetical, but then it accomplishes, I think what Arizona wanted, which is to create some uncertainty around this. And also quite frankly, it makes it where it feels like the store is open. Business is open to trade for the number one pick. Meaning if, if they're not necessarily in love with Murray, then all of a sudden the Raiders or someone that might want to jump up feel emboldened to maybe make an offer. Whereas if Arizona says we're taking them, business is closed. Well, you, you know, it's a free roll. You might get some offer you can't refuse. Someone might want Rosen. Someone might, might want Murray. Why would you limit your opportunities in trades if you're Arizona? So I see motivation for Arizona throwing up the smokescreen. That said, the betting markets have valued, they've accounted for the uncertainty. So, Brad, Westgate, earlier this week, 
had some crazy odds on Rosa. So uh, on Kyler Murray, minus, oh, I, I'm sorry, on the quarterback Murray. Yeah, the for first himself. first overall pick, Kyler Murray was minus twenty five hundred. Keep in mind when they opened this up, and I'll give Westgate at least credit for opening this up. Over a month ago, Kyler Murray was like minus 140, got all the way bet up to minus 2,500. So what does Westgate do this week, the week of the draft? Take that take that prop bet down. And when they put up, uh, they put back up prop bets, that was not one of them back up on the board. And what's very significant, you mentioned about Murray being the favorite, minus 140 to go number one. If we go back even further in time before the combine, of course, his over-under and where he was going to go in the draft was anywhere from nine and a half to six and a half. So, in other words, it was unclear whether he's even going to be one of the top seven picks. And now, all of a sudden, it, it got priced almost like he was a lock to be the pick. And now, not so completely certain, right? Yeah. So, if you take you shop around the lines, and RJ has a lot of this, right around minus 400. A lot of the offshore books, uh, online books, have him up still at minus 400. So, a little, so, markets basically are saying that Murray, a little more than 75% of the time, we expect him to go to Arizona, right? Which is fair because on one side, you got the Pete Prisco CBS report saying, no, he's not going to be taken. And then you got a guy like Mel Kuyper with all of his vast experience, basically created this whole industry as far as analyzing the draft, creating the draft. He says it's 99 plus percent that uh, Kyler Murray goes to the Cardinals. And it makes sense that they split the difference, right? Is it, it, Westgate was under the Mel Kuyper or, yep. you know, not 99%, 96 or whatever. Was there a no on that? No. Oh, imagine that. Mm. And, <laughs> but then when there's uncertainty, they pull it down. You think, but I love the books that got the guts to say, hey, we think it's somewhere between the two. You know, if it's 50-50 or so, like the CBS guy is saying, or if it's 99, eh, let's split the difference. We're not taking huge bets. In a weird way, I like when books have low limits if it's on bets they wouldn't offer otherwise. So many bookmakers have told me if we could keep the Fezziks and the Brads out of here, it'd be so much better for the regular player. Just things like with correlation. There's so many things that have little correlation that someone like Fez would exploit, like... I mean, it would be like, what's the analogy? Someone finding like a, a gold mine in their backyard and they had like seven days to dig as much gold as they could out. You know, couldn't you see Fat? You know, Fat's a snoring Adderall. He's got his, <laughs> he's got his miner's hat on and he, and he's going to be hitting that, you know, he's going to be picking at that ground. Uh, <laughs> That's how you'd be betting those correlations, right, Fez? Yep. First half to land odd. Second half to land odd. Game to land even. Oh, it's a three-team parlay. No, it's not. It's a two-team parlay that pays like a three-teamer. I'm the dirtiest player in the game. But in a, in, and it's kind of sad. <laughs> I mean, for everybody else, it's not Fezzik. But if he wasn't in his minder's hat doing that, <laughs> they could offer... Bets that the average Joe, pros versus Joes, man, versus, could enjoy. Oh, I want a nice parlay. Ten-team parlays used to pay 850 for one here in town. Now they pay 650 Did you cause that too? I was a part of it. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so all I'm saying, for, and just do it for me. I don't ask you much. Don't hate Fez. 
He's because I think Nat Nat, he takes a lot. He takes and takes and takes and takes, but he gives. <laughs> Don't hate Fez. That's all. Do it for me. All right. <laughs> that is true. If you really thought about, I mean, some books wouldn't do it, but some books would. I, I think there's a business model, and this is a different thing, not with it. I mean, meaning some books would offer so much more. What's the limit? Like, like right now, even in town with the props that are up, what's the limit? Well, posted a lot are nickels and dimes, 500 and a thousand. But if, if you're considered a sharper player, I've seen people get denied, even those nickel type of bets. I still feel like, wouldn't it be nice? You know how like McDonald's has the dollar menu or whatever? What about if there was a whole menu of bets that had hundred dollar limits? Yeah, that's what CGT does with their live wagering. They you can you it's a hundred dollar limit on totals right now, but but you have no problem betting goes right through. Yeah, I mean that's their dollar menu. It feels like there's all I these, love that. Yeah, there's all these cool bets you can make that maybe there's an edge, and, and if anything, that's the trick. Is if if you trip, you know, listen, CG technology in hindsight is going to be my guess is a memory. Um, you know, obviously, or it's well known they've been trying to sell, you know, there's going to be some consolidation, but if you go back to the original model, their theory was if we triple our, and again, we're just throwing some numbers out. If we triple our handle and cut in half our hold, we're making more money. 50% more. Yeah. So to me, that was, you know, that was a... Correct model, I think. I mean, not saying it's the only way to make money as as a bookmaker, but I think it was a viable way. I think same thing. You had a bunch of hundred dollar limit bets. Some of it might be exploitable. Who cares? Just add it all up at the end, see what happens. Exactly, and their software is actually pretty good. The CGT live wagering, because if you bet a hundred dollars, RJ, the number doesn't stay the same. <laughs> if I bet a hundred dollars, it moves like fifteen cents just on that one one hundred dollar bet. And I think it's a generational thing in that the old school bookmakers, they begrudged anybody winning anything. It was like a personal affront. If someone was beating them in one sport, you think it's like he's batting, you know, four sports, he loses three and he wins one and he's not net losing. You'd be like, I want that player. It, it gnaws at these old guys if they're beat, if they're getting beat at anything. That's been my experience. Yes. Cockroaches. Cockroaches. Yeah. Similar to blackjack in many ways where a blackjack card counter gets asked not to play anymore, told not to play more. And they say, oh, but feel free to play craps or baccarat. Yeah, that's an interesting question. If a guy, and we've talked about this before and we'll make it quick. You know, Thorpe and all the counting revolution probably made more money for the casinos than anything. But for everyone that could truly count and be positive EV, most of them were caught and and uh, trespassed or whatever, you know, so they couldn't play. But even the ones that somehow were, you know, disguises, boots, whatever, <laughs> the number of people who thought they could count, but were negative EV, the handle, you know, the action went up so much 
they made more money because of the counting. Exactly, because all those players thought they had an edge. And the truth is, is that they didn't. They weren't as as great a disadvantage as the average player. They're better than the average bear, but they were still playing. Yeah, they might cut the Theo in half, but right. So to me, if there was somebody who was a blackjack counter who was positive EV, and you knew it as the casino, but he also played craps and was losing a bunch, and he ended up, you know, in the long run, he was losing more craps. Do they sit there and let him count? That would seem like the smart move, as long as he kept the percentage of action he had on the negative EV craps with the positive EV blackjack in alignment. But that's not how the bookies think. They think we we don't want to... It's almost like if somehow somebody wins at something, it's going to spread or something like a virus. Just different profit centers. Hey, I'm not going to get my bonus. It says the uh, the boss man in the blackjack pit. Who cares if he's losing the craps? You know, which is another great point, which is when you get into a corporate structure, it's literally the way they account. You know, who's being held accountable for what would dictate the the, the decision making. And if you read the business books that aren't so entrepreneurial, but the old school books about how to build a company with a thousand plus people, whatever is the way that the compensation is defined dictates almost everything, which makes sense, right? Cause that's the rules of the game. Yeah. And what should be the most important, how much the company overall makes, not how much any. Yeah. But ha- finding a way to get that aligned is, is, is why there's some great CEOs like Jack Welsh or whatever. And, or, Walsh was it Jack Walsh or Walsh I can't remember. from GE and then obviously a lot of people we don't know their names because they weren't great all right what else we got on the draft anything no so we talked about so Brad you don't like I thought you liked a few picks oh yeah yeah I thought you want to do know. our best bet you want to yeah, do it right now do, you know something let's do it now but Fez you got a best bet at the end of the pod too yes NBA. Right, so, but I'm just to remind Brad that another example of overtime RJ's wisdom reveals itself. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. You want to start by sharing your evolution? Yeah. So the first time I heard the Blossom song, it took me back to my youth, but it wasn't one of my favorite TV shows back then. Did not like it. Yeah. I mean, on the farm, it was, let's just say you didn't want a bunch. You weren't embracing disparate cultures, I think. I was no. But now, what do you now think? Now I love, I wouldn't have a best bet without Blossom. Wouldn't have it any other way. That's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah, that's what love is. <laughs> you know, it's it's like every. I'll say this for the youngsters out there, and the non youngsters are still trying to figure out this life. I, I, there's a big chunk of it I haven't figured out. I promise. Few things, maybe I have, and I think when it comes to love and marriage, the things that are so hard to do, like it feels like, oh my gosh, I got to do this, I got to do that. If you actually see someone who has a great relationship, they usually want to do it. And, you know, I think with me, you know, I've been married for 10 years and, you know, we've just made a choice where, you know, that we're not going to have kids. And it struck me. I look at what, you know, a lot of my friends have kids and I look at what they're doing and I'm like, boy, 
that's a hell of a sacrifice for that kid. And, you know, like to me going to a recital and watching, you know, like you're there for 90 minutes and then the little kid comes out and has like one line in a song and then steps back into the chorus and like, that's it. Like for me, it'd be like, yeah, see how much I love my kid. I'm here enduring this. But for them, for the, for the good parents, for the, you know, the, the people who are, you know, born or meant to be parents, that's, they enjoy it. So, so I think oftentimes when it comes to like, oh, this is such a sacrifice, but I'm doing it for love. No, it's because you're in love. It's not a sacrifice. It's something you want to do. And I think people, I think it's hard to find that. And thus people don't define it that way. But to me, that's probably the, but maybe that's why the uh, divorce rate is what it is at Mm -hmm. 50%. All right. Best bet. We're going to go first round over under amount of SEC players taken. We're going over 11 and a half SEC players drafted in the first round. Purely a numbers play for me. In my mock draft, and hear me out here, RJ. All right. Brad Powers mock draft. I have 14 SEC. Is this public? I can post it. I'll post, I'll post it right after the podcast. Brad Powers mock draft. I have 14 SEC players. And I know RJ's questioning it. You're looking at me funny, Steve. Everyone listening. Brad, you're an NFL draft expert. I'm not. But here's what I do when I create my mock draft. I use the draft experts like Todd McShay, Mel Kuyper. I, I go and even use the college guys that, that at least know the players at that level really well. Uh, guys like at, at the network, uh, you know, the Fox guys, the ESPN guys. And, and then I also go to guys like Peter King that cover the NFL. I go to fantasy guys like Evan Silva from like Roto World. All those guys, I take like 15 or 20 drafts, average them out, and pretty much the average 13, 14 SEC players taken in the first round. And on top of that, what I also look at, okay, maybe I'm, we're not right with the 13 or 14. What are the next five picks look like? And out of the next five players that are usually left off, two or three are SEC players. I think there's great value here. Over 11 and a half SEC players drafted in the first round. You know, I love this pick and I got to tell you why. And RJ oftentimes says this, you don't get fired for buying IBM. So think about it. You're at the end of the first round. Now, Patriots are a totally different animal, but every other team, uh-oh, we do not want to have a lemon for a first round draft pick. But if we do, it's going to be so much more defensible if he comes from the SEC, right? Than if he comes from Rutgers. Yeah, and it's been 10-plus years where the SEC overall for the whole draft has had the most players taken out of any conference in college football. So here I think we got a case of we don't agree with it necessarily, but there's clearly a a bias, a market bias, I think, towards taking the SEC. And remember, step one of any handicap is define what you're handicapping. We're not handicapping which player should go to which team. We're handicapping which player we expect mm. to go to which team. And Fez with Eli Manning, he was handicapping what the Giants <laughs> should do instead of what the Giants are going to do. Take that lesson home, kids. By the way, Brad, you were in a relationship for many, many months, right? Yeah. And it's been a few, you've been out of it for a while. Yep. Seems like you're... <clears throat> The amount of work you do has gone up about 30%. Yep, it has. Would you say? so? Yep. And my joyfulness, my happiness is... Well, there. that's a whole different story. <laughs> but 
Women weaken legs. But I think you need to make a pledge, not necessarily this week, to our hundreds and hundreds of thousands, almost a half a million podcast listeners, that you, you're just going to remain. Now, listen, you can have your, you know, whatever, but it's not saying you can't go to the Rhino, not saying you can't go out and have fun, but it's that gr- the grind of a relationship gets in the way of the grind of your work. And I know you probably, you know, you probably have dreams of getting married and maybe having kids, but I think you should sacrifice those for the pregame community because if and when that happens, we're all going to suffer. <laughs> so you just ponder it. I, I don't need to ponder. I'm all right. But if you make any, but no, no, we're saying you got to make a lifetime pledge. Oh, a lifetime. Point. Of celibacy. No. Okay. <laughs> Magnus Carlson just <laughs> dropped 80 points the year he got married. But it sounds like you're speaking. Still a great chess player. It feels like there's a lot of, feels like there's a lot of autobiography in Fez's comments sometimes. <laughs> All right. I'm RJ Bell. That's Steve Fezzik, Brad Powers. Let's stay in the NFL. Fez, you've been all over this one. Frank Clark. I mean, he was, Fez was on like a vacation family reunion and he's reading all the analysis. I mean, listen, when you win two super contests, it doesn't come from vacations. Let's just say that. But I think this, I don't understand this. And and on straight out of Vegas, my first thought was pretty negative about the trade for Kansas City. And it's just reinforced that. Brad, why don't you know, you, you've done some of the breakdown with me. Give me your take on it. Well, I agree with your take, RJ, and you really led the forefront. The news broke. We went on straight out of Vegas like an hour or two later, and your initial gut instinct on it was slimmer to mine. And my thought process was, wait, wait a second here. Kansas City traded a first and second round pick for a defensive end in Frank Clark. And obviously, we go back just two years to the New England Patriots. The genius Bill Belichick traded Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo, for a second round pick, but yet for this defensive end at a position of need for the Chiefs, I'll give them at least that they had to trade a first and second round pick. And I thought your best point, RJ, was the fact that, okay, we're giving away a lot for Frank Clark, but in th- in this instance, we should be getting him at a discount. We won't have to pay him that much like we would in free agency to the highest bidder. Doesn't seem like it's the case. Are you kidding me? Frank Clark's Scheduled to make 63 and a half guaranteed sticks, RJ. Well, you know, plus. that's very important for people to realize. A lot of people, I'm not going to call them squares, would say, oh, there's 63 million, million, million guaranteed. But if you're like me, Bobby, Axelrod, you do this kind of thing. Wags, five sticks wired now to Wendy Rhodes' personal account. You know, so five million in that case. So sixty-three sticks guaranteed. So it doesn't sound like they're paying Frank Clark a discount. Good job recapping. Bill Barnwell quantified this. So he 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 looked at I uh, I think it's Chase Stortz, uh, who's been very friendly with us over the years. Uh he has a draft conversion chart. How much is the first pick worth? How much is the hundredth pick? which is an update on Jimmy Johnson's famous chart. And if you add up all the back and forth of the, and make some basic assumptions on the second rounder next year, it's like 
the Chiefs gave up the eighth pick in the draft, net-net. Now, the question is, would the eighth, is the eighth pick in the draft going to be better than Frank Clark? Odds are no. So you're saying great trade. But what are you paying the eighth pick in the draft? And the average is about over the course of that first contract, nine million a year. While Frank Clark is making over 20 million a year with this new contract, which was really above and beyond what pro football focus, they wrote something about this just a couple of weeks ago about his value. And they thought this contract would be less. So in a weird way, you think about it, the Dolphins signed Sue, big contract, didn't have to give anything up. And, you know, I guess there's the compensatory picks, but pretty modest. So the idea that you're paying market or above market for Frank Clark and you're giving up the effectively the eighth pick in the draft. Shouldn't have to give up anything, You're paying right? twice. And really, the thing that Barnwell did that was interesting is if you ask yourself, okay, you could have that eighth pick and you are paying ten, a little less than $10 million a year, or Frank Clark, you're paying more than double. It's almost like, would you rather have, it's almost like, would you rather have two mm. Eighth picks in the draft and combined, are they going to give you more value? That's ultimately how to decide this trade. If you somehow theoretically had two number eight picks and had them for five years, would that produce more value for your team, more performance than Frank Clark? My gut feeling is I want the two number eights. I do too. Agreed. And ESPN gave. Seattle a B and gave, ooh, ooh. Some of those heroin addicts sleepy would be, this is their high school transcript, D minus <laughs> for Kansas City. That's about as bad as it gets. And we were talking in show prep. This is a guy that, hey, listen, anyone could have an incident. Personally, I've never had a misdemeanor, knock on wood. I've had two speeding tickets. In the last 25 years. That's it, Fez. Two. And, but I could have, there was a lot of nights if the FBI was following me in college, I would have got rung up. I might, I might still be in jail. So I'm not judging someone having any one incident, though uh, it was domestic violence, which I think is a specially sensitive topic. But he was dismissed from, Michigan in 2014. Mm -hmm. So you got a guy who you could say, I don't know him, but certainly with 63 million guaranteed, there's a little bit in the history that says the chance is greater than zero that you're going to have problems in the future. And if there's any organization you would think that would be looking to avoid this kind of complication. Yeah, but except Kansas City, some of the people they drafted were there only because it's like the Bengals with your Bengals with perfect. There's a reason he was an undrafted free agent. Fair enough. He should have, he should have been playing in the penal league. There's a reason we wear orange <laughs> RJ Cincinnati. Yeah. Like jumpsuits. Yes. All right. Tariq Hill. Characterize the story, bro. Uh, Tyreek Hill, at least a couple months ago was thought to have some, uh, 
child abuse charges that were brought up. Legal jeopardy. Yeah. But now those charges for child abuse have been dropped for Tyree Kill. Just to be clear, are we sure that's the phrase child abuse? You know, let's just say allegedly and move on. Brad Powers allegedly. All right. Meaning I'm not sure the technical legal term, but so that would seem to decrease the chance of him missing games. Though obviously the league can do what they want. Yeah, league holds all the players to a conduct that's a, a lot higher standard. So I would certainly not be confident that 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 means that we'll have Tyreek Hill on the field week one. It's yet to be determined. But whatever the chances are of him missing, they the, whatever the expected number of games was, it went down based on Significant. this, this uh, legal decision. You have anything else, Brad? No, that's is the headline child abuse charges. Okay. Big Ben signs. To me, this is one of the, you know, a restructure with the Steelers. To me, this is apparently Big Ben runs Brown out of town with his actions, runs Le'Veon Bell out of town with his actions. He's the last guy left. So you got to pay him. I would have probably tried to get this contract done when you're deciding who you're going to placate because I'm not sure how many more. I mean, what was it? Two years ago, Ben was crying. This might be my last year. Yeah. yeah. And now he's signing on for, <laughs> so it's like. Two years later, he's it, signing for two more. Yeah, Retirement yeah. has been deferred. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think that he was being genuine because I'll tell you this. I said crying. Toughest quarterback I've ever seen. So, but because the reason he's perceived as that by me is how many hits he's taken. You know, and he's a lumbering player. I mean, how many big quarterbacks are playing into their late 30s effectively? But to some degree, sometimes you've got to accept lost seasons. I mean, look at Houston, and we're going to be talking about that series, uh, potential series right now on Wednesday next. But I don't think anyone's super optimistic, including one of the brilliant minds in basketball, Daryl Morey from Houston. I mean, this guy's an innovator. And uh, I don't think he thinks that the fourth year of this Chris Paul contract is going to be particularly attractive for Houston. But the theory is, would you rather have two years where you've got a real chance to win the title and then one year where you're the eighth seed and then one year where the contract's a disaster? Or would you rather have four years where you're maybe the eighth seed or maybe you just miss the playoffs? Mm. So in a weird way, I think Pittsburgh's kind of accepting, let's lock Ben in, and odds are maybe the last year of this contract is not going to be good for us. But it's, you know every team except Belichick has to rebuild at some point. And again, we'll see if Belichick has to rebuild without Brady. Because as brilliant as Belichick is, I think he's the one genius in coaching uh, on the NFL side. He did lose in Cleveland. And his rack, if you look at his record pre Brady, you know, he had what 18 regular season games. It was uh, season two for Belichick without Brady. And he had an under 500 record there. So I think unequivocally, Belichick's a genius, but I also think you put Belichick on a team with an average quarterback and he would have won an average of 
9.2 games a year. Whereas a, a normal coach would win eight games. I, you know, I don't know. How many games is Balachek worth in a year? One and a half? I think two. Matt Castle, 11 wins. Yeah. So, but even with two, if you had an average quarterback, you're winning 10 games a year, yes. which means you're making the playoffs most years. You're not winning many Super Bowls. Right? No. All right. Anything else in the NFL? Let's keep moving. Boy, let's just get to it. Golden State. Fez, we got some numbers. We got some signposts about, you know, we got an early line, a, a projected line on the series, Houston, Golden State. And it tells us something about the market's assessment of these teams compared to last year. Yeah. So we've got Golden State's the favorite against Houston. They're minus 350. So risk 350 to 100. Take back on Houston plus 275. So let's put this in perspective. These two teams played last year, Western Conference Finals. Golden State was favored in that series as well, minus 185. So it looks like they're a way bigger favorite this year than last year, but not so fast. Last year, Houston was the home team. Had Golden State been the home team last year, Golden State would have been about a minus 270 favorite. So they're still favored this year. They're minus 350. So the perception is that the difference between these two two teams is greater than last year, but it's not as big a different difference as we had expected earlier in the year. Yeah, I, I, I think if you ask the average NBA fan, they'd say Houston is closer this year. You don't think so, Fess? I don't think so. Not after they fell to the number four seed. I think people look at that seed number and let well. Let me let me make my case. Houston was just playing Utah. Utah. Houston was only minus 300 in that series. So there was a feeling that Utah had a legitimate chance to beat Houston. But wait a second. I, you know, I don't want to completely speak for RJ here. He just said the betting public, not the market. And, and I agree with RJ because I think the betting public is thinking, boy, Houston should have beaten Golden State last year. They're up three games to two. And guess what? Chris Paul didn't play those last couple of games. They could have very easily beaten Golden State. And now this year they have Chris Paul. And oh, Golden State just lost Boogie Cousins who, you know, at least in the public's mind, what was going to play an extra part in Golden State this year. Yeah, I think the key is there's a lot of, there's a spectrum of sharpness. And, and I could almost see, like, the least sharp people, the, the, the um, Freddie Fanny packs thinking one thing, and then the, the little bit sharper people thinking another, and then the next level of sharpness agreeing with Freddie Fanny. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. not like, you know, you, for different reasons. But to me, Golden State feels, without Boogie, significantly weaker than last year. So where do you got their power rating compared to last year? So interesting. I have Golden State worse than last year, but it's it's close, RJ. So last year, Golden State was right around 11.5 points better than an average team. This year, only have them a half point worse, plus 11 right now. So how could that be? Because let's think about it. Let's assume the league in general is about the same other than Golden State. Though I would make the case with four really good teams in the West, oh, I'm sorry, in the East, that that the league's probably better this year by a smidge. But let's call it a wash. And it really doesn't even matter how good the league is. It matters how many teams could viably beat Golden State. And I think last year in the East, there were zero. I think whoever comes out of the East has a chance. I think a small chance. 
<laughs> Certainly Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is ceiling wise. So what, what's your what's your insta line on Milwaukee Golden State? First, who would have home court? Milwaukee then? would. So what's the line? Golden State minus two hundred. So Golden State, the distance between them and Milwaukee is greater than between Golden State and Houston last year. Because last year you said it was 180. 185, yes, yes. Does that feel right? It doesn't because I, I have Houston. I know last year I had Houston rated just slightly higher than I have Milwaukee rated currently. So it makes sense. Then. So actually it does make sense. Yes, <laughs> I, I've got them I, I, because I know I had Houston rated 10 points better than an average yeah. team. And now I got Milwaukee. And you're going by memory better. with last year's stuff. Okay, so, yeah. but that was a competitive. I mean, again, when you're minus, you only win a third. I mean, let's think about that. This is kind of crazy about the 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 line yes no and Golden State winning. You're saying if Golden State wins the Clippers series because there is a small chance as of this moment they don't, <laughs> right? Oh, it's not, yeah. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> then they got to be Houston. Yep. Then they got to be the Portland, I think Denver winner which is, you know, not let's just say the there's a 10%. I mean, what's the odds going to be in that one? Oh, minus think, six, seven, eight hundred. I think minus fifteen hundred. Wow, that'll be interesting. But either way, there's wins to happen, and then we're saying if they, you know, likely but certainly a real chance they don't get to the finals. That if Milwaukee gets there, they'd be only minus two hundred. They're like almost minus. I mean, what's the current oh, odds on the yes no? The to win the title. Yeah, I saw them. But they, it got pulled off the board, but I saw like minus uh, one sixty was like the last time I saw it. It's it's been dropping, but so they're but, all, they're almost saying that there's like we're not making accounting for hardly anything other than the final series. Correct, and it shows how that minus one sixty is a really bad bet right now. Yes, but it, it, there's also a chance more. Chance they play Boston, make it. yeah. But is it? Wow, that doesn't seem likely. That's Brad's pick. Yeah, but <laughs> true. But I mean, Toronto's not that far off, right? I mean, what's the power ratings right now? Toronto, Tor- Toronto is two points behind Milwaukee, seven and a half points better than an average team, second best team in the East. Two points. That seems like a lot. Wow. Okay. I think we all agree Golden State Houston, biggest series in the West that we could have, including the final, you know, conference finals after it. You, as you said, Fez would be a big favorite for either Golden State or Houston. What have we learned? I'm going to ask a very specific question. What have we learned since the start of the playoffs? The number one thing, and again, we learned that Boogie got injured, but let's just assume that, go beyond that, about each of these teams and and how does it affect, like if you were picking this series before the playoffs versus picking it now, what knowledge have you gained? Well, I think that Houston is much closer in current form than they've been to last year's team than we than we thought was possible. They're still not as good, but the fact that they were able to play a pretty fine Utah team and be so impressive in the first four games, I think now we feel Houston does indeed have a puncher's chance, and I don't think we really felt that way even a couple months ago. But Fez, a lot of people say I'm too hard on you. A lot of people say, keep them honest, RJ. It sounds like you said the exact thing before the playoffs. What I remember you saying about Houston was that all year or most of the year, there's been something limiting them, injury, whatever. 
But when they've all played together, health-wise, they were mighty good. And as of now, they're all healthy. So you're saying how well they've played goes beyond even the optimism you had for Houston? Yeah, I bumped them a point in my power rating since the playoffs started. I got to tell you, RJ, you remember Chris Paul went out for a month and Capella went out for a month and their points per game differential was horrendous. I mean, they were like barely out. So again, that's not the team that's playing right now. Exactly. So I think what happened is that at the end of the year, I looked at the under overlying stats. And I said, you know, this team's underrated right now. Yeah, they did not score their opponents by that many, by that many, less than five points per game. But I really think they're significantly better than that. But I still don't think I bumped them up high enough to the uh, current level that they were playing at the end of the year. Same question for Golden State: What have we learned other than Boogie's injury? Well, I think it's we've learned that they can indeed flip the switch. And I think the best example of it was in the Clipper series. Hold on a second. That was an open question. We felt like that, you know what I really would like to know if I had a fortune teller is, can Golden State play better than they played during the regular season? We knew they were going to play better than during the regular season. But I think it's been shocking just how well they can play even when they lost to the Clippers, remember they got that 31 point lead and it was almost like, oh, you know, the bus is running outside and they just checked out for, you know, for 18 minutes of that game. And that's a good thing. That's not a good thing, but I think it goes back to as long as they are mentally checked in, I don't think we should really hold it that much against them. But isn't that exactly what you would have said before? Like, which, like somehow you're, so you've upgraded Golden State? Oh, I have. Yes. Team without without Boogie Cousins. Yep, I took I took him oh, down. Hold half, on, this I, is insane. I took him down half a point for the Boogie injury, and then I took him up for the clip for the for the Clippers. He can't even say performance by a point. So they're they're net up plus a half. Yes, that is freaking crazy. Like of all the things you ever told me, if someone would have said we're going to ask Fazic where Golden State is net net now compared to the start of the playoffs, I think well. What was the odds they were going to sweep the Clippers? It was like 50-50, right? It probably was an even money bet. And, and yeah, they're not. Hold on, hold on. I get to talk. I know I talk a lot, but we're arguing about this specific point. So I get to talk about this point. So half the time they're supposed to sweep. So by definition, the fact they don't sweep means they've underperformed. Depends how you keep score. From the eye Okay, test, this is going to be fascinating. Boston swept Indiana. I wasn't overly impressed. The, the Clippers did get a win against Golden State, but I have been impressed. The eye test has said, boy, Golden State's playing at a very high level. Against an eight seed, who we thought at least the optics were at one point in the season were tanking this season. Not a very talented Clippers team by any stretch. Go, Brad. Go, Brad. I, I'm, I don't know how go, they're not at least go. down a half a point, Fez. The market's telling you they're down. They were minus 225. Yeah, that, that's all an interesting season. point. Yeah. What, what is And ha- you're saying that's a bad bet. Yes. Yeah. Ah! Their path has gotten ridiculously difficult because they have to play a surging. What do you mean, well, hold on a they second. They knew they were going to play Houston. Not in the conference semifinals. They but, thought we thought we might have to play them in the finals or maybe not have to play them at all. And Milwaukee is playing incredibly good ball as well. So their path looks more difficult. And Toronto's playing better than expected as well. So their main threats to them winning the title have all upgraded. Except the second or or the conference final, excuse me, would be against Denver, San Antonio, or Portland. 
which is about as easy as a conference final as you're ever going to see. Well, it didn't really matter who they'd have to play in the West other than Houston. Houston was the main problem, and it's possible they wouldn't have had to play Houston if someone else would have beaten them for them. All right, so let's agree that it isn't a one-to-one, the title odds versus Golden State's power rating, because it is a relative deal. And I could see the case with Milwaukee in the upgrade. Boy, you got it. Here's the thing. There's a lesson in this. To be a professional batter, you've got to, the whole world can be over on one side of the room, make, you know, hypothetically, theoretically. And you're on the other and you're sitting all by yourself and everyone's pointing, jeering. You just sit with your arms crossed. Yeah, I'll bet you. Fez is talking nuts, but that's why he's, you know, one of the, the biggest winners as a professional sports batter. He's willing to take crazy positions. And RJ, you got to remember Toronto has home court against Golden State also. So think about this. So before the playoffs. But that was the case before the playoffs. Started. I know, but before the playoffs started, we, and for a long time during the year, we were all saying how all, all these four teams in the East all look pretty equal to us. Remember at one point they were all plus 225. Philly, Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto. Well, if they would have gotten Philly or Boston, then Golden State would have had home court. Now it's looking more and more likely like they're not going to have home court for the NBA Finals. This is R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. So you're saying that the chance of Milwaukee or Toronto being the representative of the East has gone up after the first round? Yes. Significantly. Boston was 3-1 to one just a, a, a week ago, and now Boston's what, plus 550? Yep. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the East in a minute. Let's transition today's the day after... Lillard hits that amazing shot. On one hand, as fans, we want to celebrate that. It was amazing, iconic. We've talked about it on Straight Out of Vegas. Brad could bet on soybean futures, pork bellies, poker. It's all kind of things you can bet on other than sports. Fast, same thing. And as sports fans, as lovers of sports, sports betting was the most natural. So as much as I think the typical talk shows, the typical podcasts cover kind of being a fan, I don't want that to be missed on ours, especially when it's amazing. And it was amazing, you know, and I think the the 12-year-old kids today that are Portland fans They'll be taught, you know, they'll, they'll remember that shot when they're in 30 years. So something to celebrate for sure. This is the game that people are going to talk about for years to come. And not ironic in this case. Sometimes it is. So I love that part of it. But it was a bad shot. I mean, 37 feet. And, you know, 10 seconds, he's just dribbling. Almost like <clears throat> they only needed one point. They didn't need the yeah. three. What do you think, Brad? No, I agree with you. And I think your point that they only needed a point. It's not like they were down two and needed a three to 
to win the game. The fact that there was so much time left, a time to run a play, a time to drive to the bucket and just standing there dribbling out the time uh, and deciding a step back 37 footer. I agree with Paul George. It was a bad shot. I thought it was a horrendous shot when he made it. Well, I thought it was horrendous because I lost a lot of money on it as well, but I would have said he makes that about one in five, 20%. But then I looked back and I saw Damon Lillard in the series took five 30 footers. He went five for five. Small I think sample. I think 20 is too small, but I mean, the average is 45%, right? Shooting percentage? 35 from three. Yeah, but he yeah. wasn't forced to take a three. Yeah. I'm saying they, uh, is if they would have got a normal NBA shot, they would have hit it 45% of them. Well, well, less because you're, you you have to shoot it with exactly like two seconds no, you left. Yeah, you do. Because cause the other Every team. Every team doesn't do that. No, they do now because no. they know the other team. RJ, if you make a basket with one second left, the other team calls timeout and they get to advance the ball and they score back on you. So teams are savvy now to the fact that they don't want to shoot until the final couple seconds. I'm not saying that's not the goal. I'm saying that in any given week, you're going to see times the teams are shooting with more than two Fair seconds enough. in that spot. Yeah, it does happen. But let's agree with you that because that's the goal, you're going to make your shot less. I mean, I, I just think, imagine if you had the sideline mic and they're getting, you know, it's the commercial. <laughs> no. And it's like, no, no, no. I was saying like when they were making uh, the play, you know, designing mm. the play, it'd be like, you know, they have the chalkboard. They have the camera coming in over top. The chalkboard would be yeah. funny to see yeah. that play. Just this an X out about, there. Yeah. And then just have 10, 9, 8, like have the countdown right yeah, beside yeah. it and shoot. <laughs> just go stand about 40 feet away, dribble for nine seconds and shoot. I mean, so in a weird way, maybe that adds to how amazing the shot was. I also think it's interesting. The shot happened at one 30 in the morning Eastern time. And it really reinforces. Now, the fact that that shot got spread on social media, TV, everyone saw it, but so, you know, such a small percentage saw it live. And it does go to show if you're not the Lakers <clears throat> in general, it's hard to build your brand. I mean, if, if Damon Lillard were playing for the Knicks and the Knicks were competitive, mm. I mean, how much bigger would he be? 3X. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I personally am looking to bet against Portland in game one of the next series because it got personal. It got personal with Westbrook. And and, Lil, and you could say, well, that's the way Westbrook is. I would make the case that Lillard made it personal. He did the little wave. Supposedly, some thought it was an F for Fezzik. Think about the way an F would be made with your hand. It, you could imagine it. Why? Because Fezzik was on 200 stations nationwide, 6 o'clock Eastern, batting hand over fist, OKC, OKC, OKC. Now, what's interesting about that is that the difference between Portland winning the series and, and OKC being in the in control was a couple of three pointers in game one. Yep. And there were plenty of them that they could have made Oklahoma city. That is shooting 16% from three point land, only losing by five. We got this season as a baseline of how good or effective OKC is shooting threes. 
and it was so far below it. It wasn't just the defense. Yeah, more than twice as bad this season. Brad, you had an amazing stat from uh, you ESPN Stats and Info about OKC's lead in that the, the deciding game. Yeah, so game five, OKC with seven minutes left is up 15. In their last 239 games, when Oklahoma City's been up 15 or more points with seven minutes left in the game, OKC was 239 and zero prior to game five against Portland. So to put this in perspective, we talk about a one-outer. So this is like taking like a five-deck shoe and putting a joker in it, shuffling all the cards, one joker, and you got to pull out the joker for this loss to occur. And at that point, if those two things happen, OKC's up 3-2 going home. Even so, the smugness, the howdy-doody smile, there's some culpability here. No doubt. What did we figure out about OKC that we can put in our pocket? Russell Westbrook, not to be trusted in the playoffs. It's between the ears. He goes ahead. He panics. He tries to do too much. I'm not sure about panic. I think that the things, the quality, and I, I call it he makes it personal. The fact he takes every bucket, every game, every comment from every fan personal is why he cares so much, is why he's so good on a Tuesday night back-to-back in the regular season. He plays as hard as anyone. I think sometimes the pressure can be too much for a player like that when the whole world's watching. Yeah, and the pressure definitely got to him. And additionally, RJ Westbrook does not shoot as well as we'd like him to. And let's face it, when you put yeah, your... Yeah, but that was the given before. Yeah, but when you put your head down and you drive in December, people aren't as encouraged to take charges as they are in the playoffs when they're perfectly willing to do so with the game and the season on the line. And we saw that with George and Westbrook with three turnovers in the final two minutes while they were blowing that eight-point lead with three minutes to play. What do you think about my thought that there's going to be a letdown now, if somehow Portland were playing Golden State, maybe not. But either Denver or San Antonio coming in, I think it might take a game. And when I say coming in, I guess, uh, you know, Denver would have home court in that case. But it feels like that that when you have a blood feud like OKC, Portland was, the first game might be a hangover. I can certainly see that. You know, and another reason for the hangover, RJ, last year, Portland lost in the playoffs as a as the better seed, as a three seed, and they got swept 4-0. So I can see them say, we rallied up and we... we abs- like exceeded expectations by winning the one series. Yes. and it, But one caveat, it could be that rest versus rust factor because there's a good possibility the Denver-San Antonio series goes seven and Portland sitting there with a week off in between. So if it's a good thing, is it a bad thing? It'll definitely be the the rest versus rust there. Yeah, because I I think having a... I don't think think insufficient rest is a problem in these NBA playoffs. I hope... I mean, (laughs) I'm not an NBA player, but come on. Maybe for MB, just because he's battling the knee tendonitis. Everybody else, probably not. That wouldn't be about rest. It'd be about the injury, right? Yes. All right, let's go to Denver, San Antonio. Fez, you and I, and by the way, about 15, 20 minutes will be to our best bet or our bone, you know, second best bet. It's Fezzik against Dave Esser. There is a crossfire on the best bet. Imagine that. But we got a crossfire. A victim of the infamous oh. Malachi Crunch. 
Bro, we should have used that one. We should have used that one when we, we were tearing up on Faz a little <laughs> earlier. Haven't heard that since football. The Malachi Crunch? Yeah, the Malachi Crunch. Uh-huh. Often. See, that's what happens is when you become part of the community, the family, it's like, oh, it's that time. You know, I used to watch the McLaughlin group. And wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and every Thanksgiving, so I watched it like six, seven, eight years. He would say at the end, he'd go, um, usually he'd say goodbye at the end or bye bye. That was his line. But during Thanksgiving, he would say, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> he, like that was the exact gobble. And then you're five and six. I'm, I'm, you know, and then when he died, it was kind of sad. No gobble, gobble. It's all gone. Life is precious, Brad. It's all, we're, everyone is hanging on by the thinnest of strings. They're invisible. When they're cut, you don't know it mm. until you're fallen. That's deep. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I'm serious because did you see that dude from the billionaire from Denmark? I tweeted this out and it really is. It's almost too much to contemplate. So we'll do a quick. This dude's the richest man in Denmark. Uh, you know, I don't know anything about him, but you're guessing he worked pretty hard and he's pretty talented. He has four, he had four sons. And, you know, this, I think they were in their 20s, that range. So with this Sri Lanka terrorist attack, three of his four sons died. Wow. So imagine, you know, you work your whole, and and let's be candid. One of the things about wealth is wealth equals protection. Wherever you are on the spectrum, whereas if you're at the lowest and you're a homeless person, and when I say lowest, I mean on the financial, socio, socioeconomic spectrum, you have little protection, you know, because the elements, you know, you don't have health care. And I mean, think about the life expectancy of someone living in the streets in New York City. It's not going to be the, as an actuary, Fez, former actuary, not great. No, not great. Then as you look at, Go up a level. Okay, it's someone that works a minimum wage job and just are barely making the rent. Well, they probably don't have great health care. In fact, they almost certainly don't. And what's the chance of them getting, you know, some type of violence walking down the street? Because they're probably living, especially if it's a big city, in a not great neighborhood. So you have less control, less protection. You go up another level, you have, let's say, bad insurance. Go up another level, you've got good insurance. But then you go up to the level at some point where if you have any problem, you would fly, uh, and maybe it's a net jet, maybe it's not your own jet, you would fly to Switzerland for that specific, or Germany for that specific Kobe Bryant red blood cell transfusion that he got way back when. Then there's the guys and families that have personal security. And if you really think about it, when you get into the political protection, like if you in your town donate, I don't know, a 
thousand bucks to the local sheriff in his reelection campaign. You've bought yourself a sit down with that sheriff anytime you got a problem. You got some ex boyfriend of your current girlfriend causing trouble. You cut, ca- hey, Jeb, it's me, Faz. Anyway, you can have one of your detectives swing by and deter this guy. No problem, Faz, because sheriff in that case is thinking, this guy gave me a thousand bucks. It's not going to take much. Or much work. In fact, this is me doing my job. It's just he happens to have my number. And then you get to the level where you're donating to maybe city council. Now, all of a sudden, you want to put a no parking sign in front of your mm-hmm. play. And then you get up to the kind of people. And the funny thing is that anyone that's thinking of doing this, the best way to get real protection for little money is find out if you don't know what district you're in for the house of reps, because a, a house of rep person in the Congress, they don't, they don't really raise a lot of money. Like literally like a, you know, a couple thousand bucks, you're on the list. You're going to the fundraisers and a congressman can do a lot of things. So like for a small investment, You've got to, and again, the congressman's not breaking any laws for you. You're going to get them on the phone or at least get their assistant on the phone and then get an answer. And now all of a sudden, whatever that can do for you, whatever that is. And then finally, you're the kind of guy that, you know, not only do you, you know, like, you know, they say the rumor is that a lot of this anti-online gambling that's still going on with the Wire Act where they had a reinterpretation of it that was negative is coming from she- uh, Sheldon Adelson, who is a big, you know, he's old school. He owns all the, a lot of brick and mortar places. He hates the online because they haven't succeeded there. He wants people betting in, in at the Venetian. And he gave, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Koch brothers, obviously there's examples on the Democrat side and it's a situation that that person maybe has more power than the politicians themselves because the line, even the president, whoever the president is, because that president's there for four years or eight years, but that big donor's there before and that big donor's there after. So you can't rise any higher. You can't try to protect yourself from the randomness of life than being a billionaire and being the richest person in your country. And in this case, Denmark. And then how many nights, Fez, you know, this, the kids crying, got colic and you're up and you're helping. And yeah, the wife's helping probably too, but you're there a minimum. You're white woken up. Oh, (laughs) the first five months with the baby. It's uh, you question. How is this? possible for anyone to do this and then the baby starts sleeping through the night and it's the welcome to kindergarten braces first time he's arrested maybe whatever it is you got this this whole and then finally you look you know they're in their 20s you look at them they get their college degrees this is some you know billionaire fantasy or not fantasy but dream 
And then one day they're going to Sri Lanka for whatever. And the next day you get a call that not one kid with colleague, but two and a third. And you got to guess most billionaires are legacy people. They're, you know, this is generational wealth. This kid's taking over and that kid's going to run this department. And literally random. They could, those kids could have been anywhere. They could have been 10. I don't know if the, how many feet it would have taken being to the left or right. And they wouldn't have died. So, so in a way it kind of unites everybody from the bum. And again, maybe, I don't know. He's bum even politically cracked anymore. <laughs> the homeless person, there are some bums. That's agree, but not every homeless person would meet that. Cause there's obviously mental, uh, you know, real mental health issues with some of them that they can't help. But from the lowest, the, the guy sleeping on the street to the richest person in Denmark, we're all so fragile to the vagaries of the universe. It's really daunting. Mm. All right. What were we talking about? We're talking about San Antonio, Denver, and curiously. Oh, crossfire. The question of who's the better team. All right. So we were on the radio and we totally disagreed with this one, Fez. Why don't I let you make your case and be, listen, don't make me force you to say what you should say proudly. Okay. I feel like you've really, you use the word waffle. Is that the right phrase? Yes. I I like our tightrope music. So just imagine this is Fez's music. Hold on. Imagine he's jumping from the left to the right as he's moving. So the series starts. San Antonio is the seventh seed. Denver's the number two seed. But I make a case for how Denver is massively overrated because they only lost seven games at home. They've got this big altitude advantage, etc. And I thought San Antonio, with the better coaching, could easily win this series. But I still had Denver as my better team. So what happens? San Antonio wins game one in Denver. Game two in Denver, San Antonio is in control most of the way. Denver gets a fortunate win and a miraculous cover game two and a phony final game. I quantified that way. And then San Antonio continued their series dominance in the first three games by winning game three at home fairly easily. At that point, I've been making adjustments almost with every game, even when Denver covers game two. And I let RJ know, you know what, RJ? I've got the Spurs rated as the better team at this point in time. And RJ looked at me like I had like four ears. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) He was like, you're Freddie Fanny Pack here. You're recency biased. You didn't have San Antonio better than Denver before after 81 games. But now after three games where they've only won two of the three, suddenly you're going to make San Antonio the better team. I said, RJ, they could easily be up three games to zero. and We wouldn't even be having this debate. Well, after game three, things kind of um, corrected back towards where the regular season was. And Denver came from way behind game four, got the win. And then Denver took care of business and crushed San Antonio game five. And my power ratings after week three, after game three of the series, had San Antonio the better team. And guess what? Now Denver's up three games to two, RJ. And my power ratings are right back to where they were when the playoffs started. (laughs) I've waffled back. I have Denver the better team by a point and a half. 
So 82 games goes by. You've got a power rating. Correct. Three games go by. I make a mistake. You move that, you move that rating Too drastically. Drastically. And then two games after that, you're right back to where you started. I, just t- I prefer to think of it as I took out the eraser and recognized the mistake I had made after game three. Now, the funny thing is he's not putting up a fight now, but on air, on straight out of Vegas, your response was, you're suffering from recency bias. To Fezzik, to me, explain what like you were trying to say there. I'm much better when I have, a few hours to think about something than just like 30 seconds. So you're saying you don't even want to attempt to defend it. I don't even want to attempt to defend it. It considering how much Denver just annihilated San Antonio game five. Victory! <laughs> it doesn't get old in case you're wondering. Archie didn't even have to say anything. He just played a drop. <laughs> he already conceded without him saying anything. He's over there coughing and stuff. And he just plays one drop and it's over. <laughs> Jesus. It was like, sometimes in court, they'll dismiss. They, they won't even make the defense no. say anything. Let's yep. move on to battles that can be won, Mr. Powers. <laughs> Denver is the better team. Even if they win, even if San Antonio somehow wins this series, Denver is the better team. I think, I, I think you having Denver and San Antonio with a playoff power ranking rating even or where they were, I'm sorry, not even where they were before the series is insane because what was the big question about Denver? Even if you just naturally downgrade three games, because that's the thing about you. As you get things right directionally, a vast majority of the time that here's the directional fact in your mind or assessment belief. Denver's not as good as their record because they have the advantage of altitude. Teams are playing back-to-back, and it's almost like a schedule loss, they call it. And you assume that's about three games. Yes. Even if you subtract those three games from them, that's just three games. It's not the only thing that matters to Denver, but that's all that's in your head, that flashing red light. I think the bigger issue was this is a Denver team that's not playoff-tested. No experience. Point guard, no experience. Versus the, the, the best coach in the NBA. Now that we're, and I would make the case if Denver wins this series, that they would have come back from, if you would just take a moment, like in every series, there's a given second that the, it's the worst chance for that team to win the series. So even if a team sweeps, there's at some point there, if you saw like a chart that, you know, you see the game charts, right? Imagine a, you know, 28% chance to win 58%. Imagine one that was the series and it calculated if they win game two, they have a 58% chance to win game two. That means they have a blank, blank, blank to win the whole series. Wouldn't be that hard. To, I mean, we be beyond my ability as a computer programmer, but a professional could put that together. Yeah. And I think it was Denver would have been about 30% at their very low point when they're down double digits in game four. Wow. I think that's super optimistic. Well, let's not even debate any individual place. Cause in game two, they were down 19 with about four minutes. And they left lose that the game. Quarter. They're down. Oh, two going to San Antonio with no confidence. They lose game four. It's a problem. So it's almost like, San Antonio, let's see if you agree with this. San Antonio's edge 
was more pronounced at the beginning of the series. As Denver accrues playoff experience, it becomes less of a factor. It has, yes. Thus, we've... It's like the problem, the biggest problem Denver had entering the series no longer exists, not just because they've played the five games, but because they've been in a spot where most teams would have lost and they won. They did. They came back twice from double digits and and games two and four. And if they lost those games, they're in horrible trouble. Well, if they lose those games, well, they can't the series lose, is over. It's <laughs> one of those, yeah. So I feel like not saying so much it's going to carry the next series, but I think it will a little bit. Denver's in a great spot, not only because they're up, because the biggest San Antonio advantage has been mitigated. It certainly is one of the factors. Well, what else is there? Well, there's always multiple factors in any well, what else game. What else is there that you don't think the market's probably accounting for? Well, in game six upcoming, the fact that we've got a situation where Denver has just won two games, taking control of the series. They're up 3-2, and it's human nature that as, as a team, you're like, well, all we got to do is win game seven at home. And we're going to win this series. And I think that this is a, a case where Denver can exhale and say, oh, we're in good shape now. Whereas the Spurs are the team that has to be absolutely all in facing elimination. Listen, this is something, I mean, this is an unusual show because of the draft at the front. This is probably a good time to do our best bat face off between Fez and Dave Asler. Stop on the Spurs minus two and a half game four. I really like this bet. Bottom line, even with my power ratings having been adjusted back to Denver being the better team, I'll give San Antonio four points for home court, which is very warranted given the fact that San Antonio has been a much better team at home this year than on the road. Denver's been a much better home team than on the road. So because of that, if I go ahead and give the Spurs four points for home court, boom, we hit the spread that's being dealt. Spurs minus two and a half. But I think the situation greatly favors the Spurs, as I've described. They just lost the last two two games. They, the Spurs just got blown out in game five, similar to that zig, zig, zag that we talk about when a team loses two games in a row and comes back home. I think this is not obviously the same situation, but it's a very similar situation. And I think that that's worth at least a point, if not more, for the Spurs. And I think that Denver could easily go ahead and say, you know what, we just need to win game seven and game six when they get down double digits, they won't necessarily have that same if they fight. Get down double digits. If they get down double digits, then I don't expect Denver will come back. Denver this year, 34 and 7, straight up at home, 20 and 21, straight up on the road. This is for game six on Thursday. Yes. Dave Essler disagrees. Spurs Nuggets game six Thursday night. San Antonio faces elimination, and yet they seem to be begging for Spurs money, putting that out at minus two and a half, especially. After Tuesday, when all the favorites won at home and most covered. Game five, Denver turned the ball over more. San Antonio had more offensive rebounds and more points in the paint, and yet they were never in the game. Game four, also in San Antonio, Nuggets were down a dozen after one quarter, and we know what happened after that. That's a huge confidence builder for whatever San Antonio throws at them in game six. And the books know this. Throwing the Spurs out is a short home fave, once again, begging for San Antonio money. Spurs aren't getting my money. It's Denver plus three almost everywhere in Vegas, almost nowhere offshore. Give me the Nuggets plus three points. Interesting point. There's the 
batter's line, which tries to split the result. This team's going to win half against the spread. This team half. There's the bookmaker line, which considers how the public will likely bet. If you would have guessed before this line came out, Fez, what would the line be? Which is a bookmaker's line. I would have said four and a half. And I would have said three and a half. So hold on a second. The zigzag, this is the zigzag, right? You got to win. Yes. So by saying three and a half, you're saying that you would have accounted for the zigzag and still it'd be below home court advantage? Yeah. Just, oh, jeez. Just because Denver. Why you just say what you believe? Everyone now feels Denver's the clearly better team, RJ. So I don't think, I know that the Spurs were minus three and a half in game three and the Spurs were minus four and a half in game four, both home games. But if you if you use those as, as an anchor now, okay, in game four, we felt that the Spurs were the better team. No one feels that anymore. So to make it four and a half, even with the zig zigzag going in, in the Spurs' favor, I think would have been excessive to make this spread four and a half. And that's why I would have thought it would have come three and a half. You know, that was somewhat convincing. So let me agree with you on that. But even so, what's the rationale of a non-public team like Denver being... Well, I guess flip it, a very public team relative to Denver, the Spurs, making it too, you know, so much more try. It seems like they're they're begging for Spurs money. Gosh, you know, I don't know if either one of these teams is really a public team. Hold on a second. The Spurs are the seventh seed this year. They're not the same Spurs as we've seen. How many? LeBron, have- hold on. LeBron could go play a pickup game. And as long as it was getting scheduled, and everyone knew it, that he was going to play a pickup game and someone had their freaking iPhone was going to stream it on Twitch. It'd probably get more people watching than Denver in a typical game. Fair enough. And, yeah. and, and the Lakers, the Lakers would be no seed in that case because there wouldn't be any Lakers it's a, there. It's a good point. Denver is, is, is the least public number two seed in the history of the NBA, right? And the Spurs are... What, five-time champions this century? Yeah. There's certainly the brand recognition of the Spurs. You know, when I start agreeing with him, I think it emboldens <laughs> him to just get crazy. <laughs> like, how crazy can I get? All right, well, listen, that's why there's chocolate and van- vanilla ice cream. That's why bookies are rich. Dave Esler's been winning bets at pregame. I mean, profiting for his followers since Moses wore short pants. He is that old. Why are you pointing to Brad? I'm curious what Brad thinks on this game. Ugh. I, my gut instinct, and I'm more, I would say, Freddie Fanny Pack when it comes to the NBA. I wanted to originally go with San Antonio. That was my first gut instinct. But now, after listening to RJ and, and Dave Esler, I'm sorry, Fez, I'm against you. All right. Last thing, guys. We got three last things coming up. One is the East. Fascinating. And Fez teased it. Boston's odds to win the East are worse now than they were starting the playoffs. No real injuries since the start of the playoffs. And they won one of four series. They're 25% of their goal. But somehow the odds have decreased after sweeping and covering every game. It's very curious. Also, also, Brad's been tracking some systems. What's a system? There's a trend which is team-specific, a system is league-wide that is mind-blowing that we have to answer for when it comes to favorites in the NBA playoffs. Because if you can't answer this, you can't bet the playoffs, I think, with confidence. And then finally, a quick little three minutes 
about an opportunity in baseball with a very underrated team. It's a lot of teasing, but boy, sounds interesting. One commercial break. Oh, true car. Every car, everyone comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. The luxury package you get after the big promotion. Or the mileage you save by riding your bike all summer. Because you didn't have a car, you didn't have enough money. Wow, you can't put a price tag on your stories. Now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter the license plate and watch your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation, moonroof, watch the bump up in your value. Uh Uh-oh, high mileage. You knew it was going to ding you, but by just how much, if you know it, you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer, not available in all areas. If it's available in yours, take advantage. Let's look at those odds in the East. Boy, the Bucks. I think overreaction. We talked about a young team, first time in the playoffs, going to really stretch those legs, extend margins. I mean, if Milwaukee had won by 10 points less a game, which again, that when you win by 26 or whatever, it's really about desire for margin. I don't think there'd be such a response. Bucks now plus 110 to win the East. Raptors plus 200. Celtics. What were the Celtics entering the playoffs? Like three to one. Plus 550. Mm. Brad Power Celtics <laughs> plus 550. Sixers plus 600. Fez, explain the Celtics to me. Yeah, the Celtics got the sweep, but I don't think anyone was impressed by it. I think people knew that without Oladipo, Indiana was a fraudulent number five seed. And I think that everyone saw how much the Celtics struggled at home, in particular in games one and two against Indiana. So very misleading sweep. Indiana had the lead in game one at halftime, a substantial lead. And then game two, Indiana was up with under one minute to play. So extremely fortunate that Boston got two wins at home and that kind of broke Indiana's spirit. Um, bottom line. And is, even game three and game four were relatively close with like four minutes left. Yeah. Yet. Game four was only a four point differential in uh-huh. the end. So I, I really think that this is a case where Boston got the sweep, but no one's buying but, but into see, Boston. See, here's the thing. If I would have asked why isn't Boston been, why haven't they been upgraded drastically? That answer makes sense. They went four and zero. straight up. They went four and zero against the spread. And they've won one of the four series they need. I mean, think about when you go to LinkedIn or something Mm -hmm. and they've got, you know, four little chunks of things you got to do. One of the four little pieces of pie, it's already red. It's happened. Green. Fair enough. And it's not so much about Boston getting downgraded. Oh, this is how good Milwaukee is again. And how good Toronto is as well. That both of those teams are getting significant upgrades because they have basically answered all of their questions in the so far in the playoffs. So Brad, would you like to 
share with the world how um, you're feeling, laying, laying real vague with this Celtics team. Not well at all. I don't know what I was thinking. What was this bet like two months ago now? I was thinking the experience, Brad Stevens, I got the best coach. I got the killer, Kyrie Irving. I got a team that went to game seven of the Eastern Conference finals last year without Gordon Hayward, without Kyrie Irving. I'm not feeling so good right now. You guys got the best of me and then some. Well, listen, Brad, in my opinion, you're as good as they get in the colleges, football, basketball. The fact that you weighed into the NBA with your pocketbook it's something I personally appreciate. It's guys like him that allows our whole lifestyle here. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Let's talk Sixers. I'm impressed. They, they, they overperform what I expected. Yeah. Embiid looks good when he does play. Uh, the team is certainly. Ex- now his minutes, 20 or so for three of the games he played and then 30 for the game before the last game. So it felt like it was trending in the right direction. And maybe last game, it was like 20 minutes because they didn't need him. Yeah, exactly right. So after game three, we're like, he sits out game three and he only played 22 and a half minutes. Games one and two on average, we're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, that knee tendonitis, we got a major problem here. But I know he had five days off, but the fact he could play 32 minutes game four is a very good sign that come the wars that are coming, at least for a while, Embiid is going to be able to go ahead and play 30-plus minutes in clutch games. And I don't really like the Sixers, but I do think if they keep winning, this team gets more dangerous. Absolutely, because they remember that big five that they have, arguably the best starting lineup in the East. It's really not even an argument. They only got to play together 13 times during the regular season. Now they've had four four games together in the playoffs, so they're get, gathering very important experience, learning as they're playing. By the way, in that Raptors, let's talk about Sears prices. This is again on Wednesday. Bucks minus 260 over the Celtics, plus 220 coming back. Raptors minus 210, plus 180 coming back. Let's talk Raptors. Take away from the series. Yeah, I think Kawhi Leonard just emerging as a superstar. We were worried after game one, only played a little over 30 minutes, and the team, they lost straight up. And now it's like, uh oh, same old baby dinosaurs letting us down in the playoffs. And we don't, and they didn't even go to Kawhi and have him play more minutes, but stabilized completely. Kawhi played great each and every game afterwards. And I think that that's a stabilizing force. He's the go to guy that can get them a bucket when they need it that they've never had before. The fact that this is different than last year, that game one felt like last year. The fact that Toronto can feel like they reset with personnel and coach and it's different is a big positive. And they got the experience with Marc Gasol coming on on board. He's got a very positive plus minus for the team and veteran leadership to help when the playoffs get tougher for them going forward. Finally, Fez, your Toronto Raptors and Van Vliet. Yeah, and Van Vliet, yes. Without Van Vliet, the Raptors actually underperformed during the middle of the season. They went had a 5-13 and 13 against the spread run. Another reason that I like Toronto here, you're, RJ, your, your pick to get out of the East. Yeah, I misspoke. So I was wanting us to go to Milwaukee. You're right, Van Vliet, part of Toronto. So I win either way. I either am going to win the bet, assuming Boston doesn't, which oh. is very unlikely, <laughs> is... I either win the bet or I can blame Van Vliet. Like Toronto's going to win me the money or I'm going to win the right 
to just kill you for Van Vliet. And I'll take my Van Vliet fathead off the wall then. All right, let's talk Bucks. Yeah, well, but what, I don't know how much we learned from the Bucks. We learned they're a great bully. They got all that separation. You nailed it. They get up 16 in the fourth quarter and they wouldn't take their foot off the gas as they were murdering Detroit. Blake Griffin, of course, injured during that series. How much credit do we give Milwaukee for, for crushing Detroit in that four-game series covering every game? I think your question's valid. The market's adjusting like crazy. You know what it reminds me of a bit? Remember last year when Philadelphia won 20 out of 21 games to end the year? And remember I remember that, you were pretty optimistic All that about hype, it. and we're all talking. And I think Colin came on and talked about, here's the high score of the teams that they beat, and there were just a bunch of no-name teams and the like. And you got to wonder, has the same thing happened a little bit here with Milwaukee because they got the cupcake team to play in the playoffs? It's not even that. It's that they, they, they had desire for margin. Right. I mean, the sweeps is impressive, but if it wouldn't have been these margins, it felt like there weren't games. It felt like it was like a junior varsity against varsity. Okay, Brad, you've done a great job. Not an NBA, you know, you don't put all your energy into it, but you've tracked a few macro trends. So one involves, I'm just going to let you do your thing. One involves when the spread matters. One involves favorites over the last four years. And then the real wow is a 20 and two ATS trend when it comes to big favorites. Yeah, we'll start off with uh, when the spread matters. Well, the spread hasn't mattered this much in the playoffs so far. All you got to do, Fez, I'll solve all your problems. You know, Johnny might not be eating organic food for the next week, but he might next week if you follow this. Fez, if you just pick the straight up winner in these NBA playoffs so far, you're 33, two and one against the number. And those three games where you didn't cover, if you pick the straight up winner, you're only five points away from 36 and zero against the number. Just got to pick who wins the game, Fez. Now that's always what you hear in different sports. Pick the winner, pick the winner. Is there any, it sounds, I mean, I think Brad saying that with a, a smile and wink. But what is the rationale? Is this just random? No, I think you have it, uh, RJ. And you mentioned this on our Straight Out of Vegas show. There's times in the playoffs, and we've gotten more analytically driven, where it's not about always playing hard every single minute of every single game, where I think when a team gets down in the playoffs, I think there's more of a tendency, oh, we'll get them next game. This game's over with. We'll get them next Thinking game. about it holistically as a yes. seven-game series. And I also think what happened, like, let's go back 10 years ago. What would happen if you had a 12-point lead, RJ? Uh, run a little bit of clock, and then when the shot clock marching down, go ahead and chuck up an ugly three-pointer. Well, guess what? Teams have gotten very adept at taking good three-pointers and making it. Everyone on the team can uh, make this it. Is new. So because of that, all of a sudden, these 30 percent three-point shots have become 40 percent three-point shots for these teams with the big leads redemption for fez from worst to first baby it's a great point so just to reiterate what you're saying is the natural flow of running clock when you have a nice lead is wait 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 shoot a three the efficiency on shooting the three in that equation has gone up. Absolutely. So think back. And I also think teams are more cognizant that the other team can make threes too. And thus, not that no lead is safe, but what's defined as a safe lead has gone. It's a bigger lead now you need for people to feel like, for the team to feel like it's safe. 
that should keep extending more. Yeah, just ask, ask Oklahoma City with their 15-point lead with seven minutes left or mm-hmm. Golden State with their 31-point lead in the third quarter against the Clippers. Yeah. Now, that explains why the favorites are covering. Why are the dogs winning outright? I think it has to do that. It's almost like college bowls. I think that the motivation, the zigs and the zags in these playoffs, quite frankly, are really disparate. That Some days those teams are there to play. Some days are not. And if you just, if the underdog's the one playing hard, they 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 will win in the game more often than you would expect. You know, it all makes sense, but what I can't explain at all, and sometimes you can't explain everything, is that game one, both teams should be ultra motivated, and the fact that three of the favorites lost game one in this opening. And again, it, it's not like the, any theory we come up with is going to apply in every case. It's uh, because uh, the, the 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 spread only matters. A reasonably small percentage anyway. It only mm-hmm. takes, you know, five or six or seven extra in this column for us to have such an eye popping trend. So, Fez, do you, I mean, the only way to take advantage of this, because most people bet spreads anyway. So, with the favorite, it's just do what you do. Do you play more dogs, money, money line? Yeah, I think you look to play. If you like the dog, you look to play the money line. If you like the favorite. Now do you put it all? I mean, I like to split it up a little bit. You know, I'm a wimp that way, too. That even like. No, I don't think it's a way to diversify. It's almost like saying betting a dog. It's like betting a horse to win and to play. Exactly. Right? And- Is if you're right, 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 you get the win ticket and the place ticket. Uh, or And if you're just kind of right because you cover. You get your place taken. Yes, but there are times like I have to choose like between a plus two and a plus a dollar eighteen, and the plus. Well, but that's all. That's just math. Yeah, but the math says bet it all on plus eight a dollar eighteen. But what I'll do, RJ, is I'll still. I'll, oh, so you're suboptimal. I'll suboptimal exactly. I'll bet like three no quarters. Johnny plus is not dollar eighteen in his organic berries. Because just psychologically, it's so difficult <laughs> when your team loses by one and you lose everything. <laughs> organic berries. Hey, it's good for the brain. All right. Next up in the, the Brad Powers trend extravaganza. Yeah. And this is surprising to me because the, I, to me, the public getting involved would be the NBA playoffs. So 10, I would think, hey, maybe a little bit more value on the underdogs. Not the case. The last four years, if you just blindly bet on every single favorite in the NBA playoffs, we're talking nearly 300 games of sample size here, 61%. That's what the the favorites have covered the last four years. And this year, right, more than 67%. You're 24-11-1 against the spread if you blindly bet every favorite in the playoffs so far. I mean, Faz, with 250 games or 280 games, over 60%. I mean, what the hell is going on? Yeah, well, it's pretty amazing because you'd think of anything, if you had to pick one subset or the other, that we'd look towards the dog. And I Public think, gets involved, yeah. premium on the favorite. And I think it goes back to what we're saying, that the teams with the leads don't let up. And even if they slow it down, they become so good with these three-point shots that it doesn't compromise their offense and let the underdog back into the game. Didn't we see something similar in college football four or five years ago when there was a transition from Hardly any of these spread off, like really spread versus a lot of teams becoming spread that some of these big 20 plus point favorites were covering at a high clip. That's a great memory. You, we did see that where where the, the, the favorites were covering by margin. Something big again. favorites. Big favorites. Yeah. The, the three touchdown plus favorites. We had a history, Woody Hayes, whatever. Yeah. And then it got blown out. Yep. 
So we're, no pun intended, it got blown out as in it left the building versus the team winning by a lot. You're saying the same thing. You're, we're saying it's a more modern game, but the models creating these spreads are from history. Yes, and Milwaukee and Houston and teams like that aren't getting the memo, and Milwaukee just keeps shooting open threes and making them and extending their lead. So here's the thing. I never thought I would question what he was going to say. If I free-rolled you a dime, a game, whatever the net result is, free-roll, you bet every favorite the rest of the playoffs or every dog, what do you do? My first reaction would be if the fact that the favorites have won, covered 60%, I got to go ahead and take the dogs. But let's face it, something... Well, you, you were saying the favorites cover six, you got to take the dogs? Yes, because the markets, you're going to start to have to pay a tax on that. But you know what? I don't think you're paying enough of a tax to compensate for the new NBA where the favorites just keep covering. So this is shocking, RJ. I take the favorites. Now that's saying something. That is. Wow. I agree. I was ready to bat him. Yeah. But I just don't, I think that, I think this trend though, it's not like it's 18 and 0 or something. It's not like. It's the, enormous. I didn't say it's not, but what gets attention, if you went outside and or went to the sunset station, average better sitting there and said, hey, can you believe the favorites are, what's the number over the four years? Yeah, 61% against the yeah, spread. But what's One, the number? 170, 109, and one. Do you think you'd get a lot of those guys, you know, take, taking a drag on their new ports saying, no way. That seems like it's almost statistically significant. What's the response going to be? It's not as good as 18 and three, is it? Exactly. It's going to be, who cares? Yep. So my sense is, do you hear anyone else talking about these favorites? No, they're not. So that's what I'm saying. This isn't, you pay a tax when the public perceives it. And you're not paying the tax on this. What you did pay the tax on, we talked about this, was the zigzag zag on the O. Yeah, and we're going to get into that next week even deeper. But real quick. We had a game this week. Which game was it? Yeah, so it was Indiana was hosting Boston. Indiana was a two-and-a-half to a three-point favorite in, for the game, and they were two-and-a-half-point favorite in the first half. So basically, game two-and-a-half, first half two-and-a-half, you were paying. Which is a sign the market's catching up to that amazing Right, trend. you paid the now tax. The, yeah, now the question is, is it still a positive EV play? I got one. Now, this, Brad's third to third here, and then we got a quick baseball point. This is one... I think there's enough discussion and I tweeted it out that you're going to start seeing a, a premium. Yeah. And it's big favorites on the road. Last seven years, if you're laying seven points or more on the road in the NBA playoffs, you're 22 and 0 straight up. And how about this? 20 and two against the spread. Stunning. There has been one loss this year, but it was Golden State only failed to cover by about a half point to a point against the Clippers in game four. So the trend continues to win 20 and two big favorites on the road. You're what's your top Fez? Do you want to pay a premium lay a big road favorite in the NBA playoffs? Of course not. The, the value is of course with the home underdog. You want to play on the Clippers, not on golden state. And yet the opposite is true. And it seems like some of the rationales of why the favorites are covering apply here, because it's even more that you got the very good teams that got the fire power to extend the lead if they choose. And on the road, it seems like they 
have. I, I did take great joy because, you know, you, you attached me to, to some of these tweets that you had. And, and at halftime of game four, when Detroit was leading the Bucks, who were one of these big road favorites, they're like, oh, thanks a lot, RJ, for that trend going down in flames. And yet Milwaukee wins by what? 25 the, and easily covers. Let me guess. Because, you know, I do get premonitions sometimes. I'm guessing that person didn't come back and apologize. They didn't. Do you know how some people get premonitions? I'm one of them. All right. Baseball time. 90 seconds. Faz, you've got a, a, a team you think has got some value. Yeah, I'm bullish on Tampa Bay. And it makes sense. They're in the American League East. There's two terrible teams in the East that have no chance to win the division. Um, and there's two good teams, uh, Boston and the Yankees. And of course, those are both ultra public teams. So Boston was supposed to win about 95 games. The Yankees about 97 games. What happened? Both those teams took shots again across their bow. Um, the Red Sox, Chris Sale is their ace. He, um, slow down and talk, man. Chris Sale. You're not, you're, you're not, this is what you got to work on on the radio. Have a conversation. So I should never said 90 seconds. Go ahead. So let's, let's talk about Chris Sale. Here's a pitcher that the Red Sox could count on to stop any losing No streak. one is going to do this. 10, 9, 8, 7. Chris Sale only lost four games all year long. Well, guess what he, what he did in his first four starts? He lost four games. His velocity is way down. And so without him, you got a double problem. Every fifth day, you don't win with Chris Sale. You're losing. And additionally, your bullpen gets taxed to the max because you have to and I think Boston's a team. Yankees, it feels like the, the smart people are saying, bad luck. They're going to win less games over the season because of this stretch. But come playoff time, nothing. And they've been hot lately, but nothing we're worried about as much. Boston seems to have really been down. Exactly so. And so Boston, I would actually think is going to be really, it'll be a struggle for them just to make the playoffs, even as a wild card. I don't see Boston winning the division. Well, all right. So Yankees still competitive. The question is with a lot of injuries. The question is, what about Tampa? Tampa's the under the radar pick. So here's a team that quietly was, was supposed to win 85 or 86 games for their season win. Not nearly as good as these first two teams, but all they do is go about their business and win games. So currently Tampa's 16 and nine best record in MLB. They're plus 40 and run differential, best run differential in MLB, just quietly sailing along, if you will. And the betting markets are reluctant to make big adjustments because Tampa Bay starts out the year right around eight to one to win the division. And so the odds makers took all this money on the Yankees and on the Red Sox. And so they're unbalanced to start the year and no one has bet Tampa. So now they're reluctant to drop the odds too much on Tampa. So there was bargains on Tampa. I went out last week, bet Tampa Bay at three to one to win the division. I think it's one of my best bets of the year. Well, unfortunately, you just lost $50. What's our rule? Never talk about a bet that's not currently available. So I bade you into that. Thank you. And here's the question, though. Benefiting the listeners. Sitting here today not relative to value you could have had before, you know, the time passed and we found out more information. It's easy to look back and say, I think Tom Brady's going to be better than the 199th pick. But is there a way to get at Tampa today that you think offers value? Yeah, well, I think you can bet Tampa Bay at 15 to 1 to go ahead and win the title. To put this in perspective, Boston's 12 to 1. See, but I like going in the East. To me, the East interests me because you are getting 
the the value of fading Boston to me. Oh, if we can get at it through the East, because you get to fade Boston, you get to fade the Yankees. I know you had the three to one, but I think if you shop it, wouldn't I mean what what what's the buy price? Plus two twenty five. So you like it plus two twenty five or better raise to win the East. Yes, I expect a race between the Yankees and Tampa Bay throughout the summer. Either team could win the division. Good show, guys. I tell you, you guys, uh, Brad, especially great content. Mackie's been doing an especially good job with content. Uh, it makes my job so much easier. It's more fun. I'm sure you guys appreciate it. And as our old friend would say, see you next week. And bye bye. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday, NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.